Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Richard. Hello. He's Zog. Hello. I'm Gareth and I'm going to relax my vocal cords now because that was all a bit intense. Do you know, I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. Do you find it difficult to admit when you're wrong, Zog? If I'm honest, yes. <laughs> I hate being wrong and I love being right. Richard, you don't have that problem though because you're never wrong, are you? Never. There you go, see? But probably best not to ask my wife about that. Uh, <laughs> other opinions are available. Yes, obviously I believe right that she's wrong about me being wrong. Yeah. And then we <laughs> get stuck in an infinite loop. <laughs> a Mobius wrongness. Yes. I, think it is. I don't mind admitting I was wrong. I used to think that the Mazda MX-5 was a good car, but probably overrated. To be fair, I hadn't driven one until about a fortnight ago. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now able to speak from experience. I drove the new Mazda MX-5 Series 4. Mm -hmm. It was the 1.5 Sky Active. The one with the fancy roof. As in, the new car has a fancy roof. Not with the new car. They're doing a version which has a coupe roof, but this is not a metal roof. This is a good old cloth, lightweight roof on this 1.5. Okay, right. okay. Sport Nav was okay. the model I had. And to be fair, I've always criticised people who had MX-5s to say, oh, it's the best handling car I've ever driven, because they've probably never driven anything else. That's what I've always believed. Haven't driven a Lotus, for example. Yeah, yeah. but... I have to say, I can't speak for the previous three generations, but the latest one... Have you driven an MX-5, Richard? The new one? No. I've driven all the other ones, and I'd say versions one and two, good. Three, mm, not so good. I think they made it better, but I only drove it when it came out. Sort of lost its way. The initial... Yeah, got a bit bloaty, I think. Yeah, (laughs) the initial MX-5 when it came out, evoking the spirit of the original land, good-looking thing, and then it... Gets longer and fatter and bigger overhangs and silly headlamps and it just looked terrible and that turned me right off a car that I didn't have much love for in the first place. But the new one, the Mark IV, by gum, it's sharp looking. You know, it's got a bit of Jag F-type about it. It's got a bit of aggression to it, but femininity as well. And it turned in like a bumper car. Do you know what I mean by that? You, you know, the dodgy Very sharp. Very yeah. Quick, right, yeah. Whoa! As good as those lovely Lotus that we've driven, the Elise and the mm. Xyz, you know, they turn in lovely. This turns in lovely. Snickety, snickety gearbox. You know, we talk about snickety, snickety gearboxes. It's seldom you get one as good as this. Mm. It really was. It's always been a bit of a signature of the car. Yeah, man, finger Also, tip. I think of those cars, the way that they turn in. I know what you mean about bumper cars. You feel like the entire car is sort of, pivoting around where you're sitting you are the spike nailed into the ground around which the car is Mm. rotating and it's a nice feeling it makes you feel very sort of in control as a driver's car i was able to really test it in its natural environment the m1 the m6 the M56, and then right down the marches, I went from Conway down to San Dritnod Wells. So that was a good drive in the car. But it's got the battiest sat-nav of any car I have ever driven. It sent me down unmade roads. <laughs> maybe that's just how it is. Well, maybe, it, maybe it wanted to give you a slightly more challenging road That's test, what I know. think. The sat-nav was thought, I can tell this car. guy likes to drive. He likes to you yeah. know, experience the car's responses. Let's give him a bit of a workout. When I turned up at the River Simple headquarters in this car, it was filthy. Absolutely 
filthy. I've been going down these unmade roads, well, mostly cow pats really, with some road on them, and most of that was on the car, and it looked good for it. It mm. really did. In that signature red that Mazda use, even on the 6. What's it called? The Saloon? The 6? Yeah. yeah. The 6 at the moment, they're all that colour. And I reckon... It's a maroon colour. It, uh, it's more cherry, I'd say. Okay. And I reckon it's so cherry that if you licked it, it would actually taste of cherry. Without in any way sort of putting down what Mazda did first time around, in a sense, when they first made the car... What they were doing was, in a way, a little bit easier. What they were doing was sort of saying, well, nobody is making a straightforward, simple, lightweight mm-hmm. sports car in the tradition of you know, an old British roadster. Mm. So let's do that. And they did a terrific job. They came up with a lovely, iconic car that has now lasted so long that it's, what, you know, 20-odd years since the first one came out. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's um, more now, yeah, yes. more. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Eighty nine. Yeah, that like yeah. twenty sixty. If you're doing a new MX five after that long, you've got your work cut out mm. to yes, not indeed. really disappoint everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah it must be and difficult. so yeah. I think they've done a tremendous job to come out with something that's still impressing people after all this time. They've done really subtle little things, like they've moved the two seats closer together slightly mm. to get the mass closer together in the centre of the car. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's shorter. This version, I think, is shorter than the original MX-5. It's certainly shorter than the last two generations, and that's got to be a first. Well, I have to say, I sat in one. I haven't driven one, but I've sat in one, and I thought it felt very snug in there. I remember the original felt quite snug, mm-hmm. and the second one was a bit better. And the You're a slightly taller still. gentleman. Than I am I a bit tall, but I'm not wide. I was at a thing the other week, and I turned up in my Defender, and it had been a bit of a drive to get there, and someone went, what have you come in? And I went, oh, I came in my Land Rover Defender. And they went, you came all this way in a Defender? Hmm. How do you manage that? How do you even fit in that? Like, this is a constant mantra amongst people going, how do you fit in a Defender? Don't you have to saw your right arm off? How do you get your legs? You're tall. You're too tall for a Defender. How do you fit in it? I'm like... What, I fit what are these people doing fine. in cars? I know. What are they? Honestly, car people, because these are all car people as well, people yeah. who should know better, the car people of the world, man up. <laughs> There's no problem at all getting in that car, and I Stop. find it quite weird. Yeah. I think most of the time I can fit in most cars. There's sometimes discomfort. Actually, I fit in my Defender perfectly fine. I'm a bit paunchy, but I'm not a fat man. I'm not wide, so I do quite well in Defender. I and can do the MX-5. Exactly. Thing, I do it, tend it, to leave my... Take, yeah. I like to dress as a Victorian industrialist at all times, <laughs> but I will forego that rule when it's an interesting yeah. car. And I'd sat in the fourth generation MX-5 and I thought, hmm, this is on the tight side, mm. I would say. Well, it's a car designed for America, so tight won't work. It's got to be a big enough car to accommodate the american size person. I had a chap called Chris Burdick, who's been on the show a couple of times, writes Automoblog. Chris is 6'4", I think, and I asked him, how is it in the passenger seat? It's okay, he said, slightly qualified answer. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't generous. But it wasn't a perfect car. I loved the way it drove. I loved the way it turned in. I loved the willingness. You know, it's a cliche, a car cliche, but it wanted to be chucked around. The sat nav guaranteed that. But I think it needs a bit more poke. And yes, I know there's a two-litre version, a bigger engine version of it, which is slightly heavier, I would imagine, so it won't turn in quite as well. But I think it just needs a little bit more oomph. I think all the magazines have sort of been saying that the yeah the lighter engine sort of suits the car, makes it feel more nimble. So, yeah, it probably would actually... 
I'd like to drive the other one. Turn in, mm. but in exchange for a bit more. Mm. Mm. He has some good stuff as well, like little secret places to keep things behind the seat. There's a little cubby holes there, which I didn't discover until the end. And, fair play, that boot, which I believe is smaller on this one than the previous one, but I could still get loads of stuff in there. I said to Chris, Chris, I've got a lot of stuff with me. Just bring a little backpack, and he turned it with two pretty generous backpacks. It all went in the boot. Ridiculous, Mm. it actually went in the How does it compare to the F-Type? Roadster. I would say it's probably got as much volume as that because that's not a big boot. You know, well, that's yeah, that's always yeah. my benchmark for a boot that looks pathetically small but is deceptively mm. able to take things. Mm. But it's not a big boot. This was not a big boot, but the right shape, not a big boot to maximize uh, what you have got. Yeah. The biggest problem with the car, and I'm sorry to report this, was the sat nav again. We were going to say it was really racist or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to report this, but... He um, yeah. yeah. wanted yes, us out of Europe, But it, um, it yeah. threw a petrol bomb into a mosque, uh, <laughs> all of its own accord. So I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but uh, rather took the shine off it for me, I think. Well, it, it was a sin equally as bad. The entire entertainment sat-nav system decided to reboot spontaneously on two occasions while I was driving the car. And on one occasion, it was on the M6 at about one o'clock in the morning around Birmingham. Uh, Rebooted in French? (laughs) Well, when it did reboot, which seems to take forever and a day, I'd missed about three junctions and it ended up putting me on a 25-mile detour to get off and get mm. back on. Now, this is interesting, though, because, okay... I should have pulled over. Well, no, no, no. I would have done if I could have. But at this point, you know, you should just reflect on the fact that you were still fully in control of an entirely functional car. Yep. And yet you were suddenly clueless because you'd lost your GP. And, you know, I've done the same thing. Because I've decided that I'm going to use SatNav for this journey... I'm not sufficiently aware of just kind of where I am on that journey and what I'm doing next, so that if for any reason that sat-nav becomes unavailable, I'm suddenly completely clueless yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, without any idea about where I'm supposed to be going. Hey, I had a week and, without you know, my mobile should... phone recently. It's the same sort of thing. It's horrible when your phone stops working or you break your phone, isn't it? I mean, what do you do? What do you do a with week? your time? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go off and get repaired, and I had a dummy phone in the meantime. It was oh. horrible. Do nothing on it. Which a dummy phone. This is basically something you're you can just walk down, down the road <laughs> yeah. and, and just, like just to speak into so that you can you know, ignore anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a smartphone. Yeah. The indicators I drove this car because it's convertible with the roof off almost all the time and constantly left the indicators on as a result. No, not loud enough. Yeah. And when I was going through the menu of the car to erase all my data and stuff, when I hand the car back, I discovered the switch that says, ah. Oh, there are two levels of volume. No, in- yeah, really? you can turn the volume of the indicators How up and down. Of them. That's a good, good one, yeah. though, isn't it? Although, if they were really on it, they'd put a sensor in that knows when the roof's down. Yeah, just turn it up. Like but wouldn't you still want the choice? Wouldn't you still want to have it's the nice choice to have of- the choice. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. They've done that. Well yeah. done, them. That's clever. Definitely, they've thought about this stuff. Genius mm. idea. However, the worst thing about the car, possibly not just the sat nav, was the wipers. When was the last time you were in a car that you could hear? The wiper motors. I know you drive a Land Rover Defender. Uh, you can you hear the wiper motors? No, because the engine's too noisy. <laughs> Honestly, you can hear the wipers. I've never heard noisy really? wipers for years and years and years, even with the roof off. The wipers. 
ridiculous. Do you know that they had to completely redesign the wiper motor in the Nissan Leaf because in all Nissans they just use a generic wiper motor across Mm. all their cars. Too noisy for the Leaf because you take Mm -hmm. away engine engine noise noise and suddenly the throw into sharp relief. It makes a lovely little noise the MX-5. Brim, 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 brim. Does it? Oh, bubbly, bibbly, bibbly, happily, happily, vum, vum, vum. I loved it to bits. One of the details on the original car they spent a bit of time on. They made sure they got the exhaust note right and they Mm. made sure it sounded right. So here's the headlines. A couple of things I noticed. Big boots. No leaks, and I sat in it during a power wash with the hood up. Not even a dribble, you see? Fantastic. Dodgy USB sockets. I think this is possibly why the sat-nav was struggling. He gets a lot of its data off an SD card, which sits in a socket. And I had an SD card in a USB converter next to it, and I was getting my music off that. Both of those flipped out all the time. Whether it was the socket or the suspension harshness, I don't know. Noisy wipers. Secret cubby holes we like. The cleverest thing, and I've never encountered this before... There's a speaker in the headrest for the phone. So you've got your music oh. coming through elsewhere, but when someone phones you up, it's like having a voice oh. in your ear. Because that was one of the ways you could yeah, always spot good. the Japanese imports Mark One MX-5s, because they had speakers in the headrests, mm-hmm. I think the stereo, and the UK mm-hmm. cars never had that. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice There's an arcane bit of MX-5 trivia for yeah, you. Good trivia. Love and it. here's one. I noticed the older MX-5s, the handbrake is on the left-hand side of the gear stick. In the current one, it's on the... Hang on, which is left and right? Right-hand side of Actually, the gear stick. Which is left, do, do, do you want us to write it on your shoes? Yes. <laughs> I'm struggling. I don't know what went wrong there. So, not a perfect car by any standards, but by gum, I'd happily have one of those. You know, without the compromises that you get from an Elise, go for it. MX-5, big fan. Hello, it's about this used car I bought from you last week. I want my money back. Why, sir, has it let you down? No, but it's worse than that. Every time I try to give my friend Mohammed a lift, the car refuses to let him in. What do you mean, sir? He simply can't get the door handle to work. My mate Dave doesn't have that problem, neither does my wife Julie, but the passenger door just won't open for Mohammed, or for Anish, or for Ling Po. Sorry, sir, which car is this we're talking about? It's that one out there, the small blue Ford Coupe with the massively flared wheel arches. Ah, well, what did sir expect? I don't understand. Well, you did buy a Ford racist Puma. Step petrol! We got a on speed! Have you seen that they're bringing Robot Wars back? Without Jeremy Clarkson, I would imagine, and without, um, without Craig Charles, Craig, without yeah. Craig Charles, without Philippa Forrester. Who well, else? No, that's a shame. Missed opportunity. Doyen of children's television. The problem I had with Robot Wars was that there were no robots in it. They were not yeah, robots. They were radio-controlled things. Yeah. Radio-controlled tanks and cars. They were not robots. Okay, now that's that, a fair point. Mm-hmm. I will absolutely give you that. But even so, they were pretty cool radio controlled. Absolutely. You know, not lumps out of each other things. Yes, mm-hmm. great you know, entertainment. If they, were, if they were autonomous, better still. Yeah. But, you know, still not bad. I can't think of Robot Wars without thinking about a gag on The Simpsons where there was something called Robot Rumble, which I think was probably the US equivalent, or they made it up, but that someone mispronounced it as Robo Trumble. <laughs> and I always think whenever someone says Robot Wars is coming back I think oh uh, Robo Twars <laughs> Robo Twars Robo Twars yeah. as Twars uh, which brings me rather neatly I thought so too to Robo Race which is the proposed support series the opening act for Formula E which is a race series 
like no other because there are no human drivers. No real-time human drivers. Humans will have written the software that will run these cars because they're going to run and race autonomously. Good idea or bad idea? Well, it's an intriguing idea. I'm looking forward to seeing this. I'm fascinated. I want to see these things in action. I'm not sure that in the end it's going to be as fascinating as watching human drivers doing the same job. But I I think it'll be hilarious. Well, I I want to see how the software gets on with it, yeah. There was a lovely clip on YouTube this week that Elon Musk retweeted of a chap who had a dash cam and he's driving around in his Tesla Mm -hmm. and a Bell Telecoms truck suddenly veered from one lane into the other and the Tesla just steered and braked and got out of it and saved the guy's life. So the software on autonomy is pretty good in a non-racing environment. But when it comes to racing, this is what I'm concerned about. If you've got five cars going into the same gap, the instinctive thing for the software to do is to back off. Well, okay. To keep you in the race. I was thinking about this as well, and I was wondering about the extent to which this might be a useful way of improving self-driving car software. As in other areas of technology, you know, we, we test other kinds of automotive technology on racing cars first. Mm-hmm. It gives you a chance to work them out. Is it the same for any kind of self-driving software? And I think the answer has to be no way, because the kind of decisions that you want the driver of an autonomous racing car to make are entirely different decisions to the kind of decisions that you want the driver of an autonomous road-going vehicle to make. Mm. Road-going vehicle, err on the side of safety, keep the vehicle and its occupants safe, don't go too fast. Also, the kind of hazards and situations that you're dealing with are completely different. There are things suddenly crossing into your path from a 90-degree angle. There are things coming the other way. Racing car, it's all about dealing with things that are going at roughly the same speed as you are, either a little bit ahead, a little bit behind, a little bit to the side, and it's about navigating between those other vehicles and how to get an advantage on them. I guess there's going to be some kind of risk assessment thing in there. You're going to work out, am I likely to benefit from having a go there or not? Health and, and safety racing. And I reckon, actually, you said earlier, you know, this is going to be software written by people. I would be surprised if some of that software isn't written by software. If you uh-huh. don't have, yeah. or at least in the long run, maybe not in the first couple of seasons, but I'm sure in the long run, the best racing software for a car like that is going to be software that learns. It's going to learn from experience. Neural nets. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuzzy yeah. logic. And all well, that it's going to teach itself uh oh, uh, Skynet. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Now, we're talking about robo racing, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, hello. Yeah, it's robo tracing. Robo tracing. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Robo tracing. Yeah. Have um, you seen the proposed car though? Have you seen it? I'll hold you the it's picture. It's very up yellow. Here. Well, this one is. Yeah. Now the colour is going to have to be an important part. Look at it. It's a crazy looking thing. It looks like something from F Zero or from Mattel Hot Wheels. You know, Turbo Winner. That's some ridiculous name. It barely looks like a car because it's got this huge aerodynamic surface that covers the top of the wheels, the front of the wheels, but also the horizontal bit, the lower part as well, so it's clearly aiming for some sort of ground effect. But look, no cockpit. Yeah, the cars are, if I recall, they're surprisingly heavy, given that there's no driver, and given that you don't have to have any requirement to have a driver in it. They're actually going to be, I think, heavier than the Formula E cars that they're supporting. Is that right? I think, I wonder why that is, then. 
software heavy these days? What's the weight well, of the average bit of code? <laughs> uh, you probably need a fairly quick computer to run that software, but then how lightweight is a fast enough computer for that? It is pretty light. No, I would have thought it's as much as anything because they want the car to be about the same size as the Formula E car. They don't want it to be quicker. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. Wouldn't, you, know, you wouldn't want the robots who are doing the support race to be quicker than the humans that are doing mm. the actual race. Well, you know, saying about the whole technology that's required to make this work. Yeah. Very different from what is required to make autonomous road cars work. So there's not much crossover. So actually, it's a waste of time in that respect. I was wondering if perhaps in future autonomous cars will be able to just drive you to work in a sedate and sensible way. But then maybe you'll have a race mode in your car. If you're late, you can tell it to drive like a bastard. Yeah, because I call it London mode. Switch the algorithm. Yes, or London mode. My dad was in a bad mood. Drive like a twat. My dad, he lived in North Wales for most of his life. When he used to come down to London, always said, oh, I like driving in London because you get to every junction, you assume that the chap there is going to go for the gap. Go for the gap. You know, they're going to be in there. They haven't got time. It's London. I've got to get there. And you can drive with that. If everyone's driving that way, it's when mm. one bloke dithers, that's when it goes wrong. And the software that you need for robo racing is the same software that you would need for driving in London for an autonomous car. Go oh, for the Rome. gap. Rome. Rome, yeah. yes. Wow. Actually, no, in Rome. No, in Rome, <laughs> software means that every red traffic light you stop at, you have to light a fag. Yes, yeah, and then get bored like of it being on red and just drive round <laughs> the right. car in front and off, which I once saw in, actually it was in Florence. But yeah, the bloke saw about two cars back, just got bored of it being on red. So he just came out and went round everyone and across the junction on red. <laughs> Brilliant. Nasty. This isn't going to work, is it? Not from a sort of spectator point of view. It's fine. I'm sure they can debug various sensors and things like that and the LiDAR and all these things they need for autonomy, but we spend half of our time on this podcast talking about what Rosberg is doing relative Correct. to Vettel, relative to Hamilton. We don't talk about, oh, their engineers were doing better than their engineers and wasn't the team doing well. It's all about people. Motorsport mm-hmm. is about people and characters and yeah. how those characters are fighting each other. You take those out of the equation, I'm sorry, I'm not really interested. Unless, of course, these autonomous cars turn out to all be completely badly programmed and just keep smashing into each okay. other. And even that might wear a bit thin. Oh. And it won't do anything to promote the whole idea of autonomy in cars, which, frankly, I do believe in as a thing for road cars. Well, OK, let's tweak the concept. Yep. And instead of having the cars operated by autonomous racing software, mm-hmm. you have to have the car driven by an actual robot. So in that, one car, oh, in one car you've got a yeah. Cyberman, in yeah. another car you've got a Terminator, yeah. in another car you've got... Borg. Uh, uh, well, Borg aren't really robots. Yeah, no, they're no, cyborgs, they're not no, robots. Yeah. In another you've got the... Marvin uh, the, the Paranoid Metropolis. Android. Marvin the Paranoid Android, in another. K9. And then when you get, you know, when there's actually yeah. uh, an accident, the robot. Yeah, you've yeah, actually yeah. got a bit of robot argy-bargy yeah. out of the car. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because you want a robot driver. Imagine, what was the name of the guy in Fireball XL5? Robbie the robot in Fireball XL5 with that sort of glass plant pot head who was nicked from Forbidden Planet and for- Forbidden Planet is the original yeah that was Robbie that, was, that was Robbie, Robbie. Yeah, yeah yeah not the shop that always smells of semen and despair <laughs> <laughs> No, no, the movie that gave that shop its name. Yeah. Oh, OK. But, yeah, you should have a robot sitting in the car and it should be able to flick the Vs and have arguments in the room of robot awkwardness later yeah. on. <laughs> That's what you want. Yeah. You Lates were out of order. That would be great, wouldn't it? Or <laughs> robo-tracing takes its lead from the returning robo-tours and all of the cars aren't really autonomous. In fact, each one of them 
is being guided by radio control by a sort of sweaty virgin in a Metallica t-shirt. <laughs> well, I think, but, but, we, but we know he's going to win if that's the case. It's going to be Lewis all over again because he was, he was a radio, very good. He was an RC car was. racing champion. Oh, well, I'm not asking him to do it. He's already got a job. <laughs> yeah, okay. But just, I'm, I'm talking about yeah, the people who would normally be on mobile. teenagers in to do it. Yes. If I was going to put any robot into a car to drive it in a race series, you know who I'd choose? Uh, go on. Bender from Futurama. Be good around the corners, <laughs> wouldn't he? And there'll be more from Robo Tracing at the same time next week. Coming up next, Topagia. Whilst over on BBC One, Leonardo DiCaprio stars as the Wolf of Wall Street. And that's followed by the 10 o'clock news. I make no apology for yet again talking about cars with electric motors in them in this program. I know some of you are probably getting a bit fed up of all the electric car stuff we've been doing, but it is the way that cars are going. And overall, lecky cars are great, as we've affirmed on this program many times and will again. But there was some big news in electric cars uh, in the last few weeks when Tesla announced the Model 3, which is breaking their convention. They went SX3. There's a reason for that, isn't there? Why they chose those letters. So if you write the three backwards and you... you... Six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. There is No, there is some... Yeah, I think he wanted it to be the Model E, but Ford already owned that or yeah. something. So it's Model 3. Mm, yeah. So whenever you see a Model 3, hold up a mirror to it and say, oh, it's the Model E. Yeah. Cheeky looking thing. Looks like a drawing of a car from what I've seen. Do you know what I mean? It looks smooth, unfinished, not detailed. It looks like an artist's impression of a car. Even the cars that I've seen look like artist's impressions. But they're going to have a heck of a struggle to make it, aren't they, Richard? They've got how many orders? Quarter of a million orders? Oh, I think I read something a few days ago that they're up to 400,000. Wowzer. I know someone who put a deposit down. Do you? American. No, in this country. Really? And she went, oh, I'm so excited. And I had to be a killjoy and go, hope you can keep that excitement going till 2020. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, well, let's be honest. where do they expect right, to get their car? The car isn't, well, they haven't even said. What you're doing is bankrolling the development of that car. Yeah. Because you're laying down $1,000. Crowdfunding it. Yeah. So if it's right, 400,000 people have put money down mm. and they've each put $1,000 down. Or £1,000 if you're in the UK. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, actually, but yeah, I, I guess th- so. I thought it was. A thousand euros. Well, off the top of my head, it was, it was yeah, it was 1,000 euros in Europe, $1,000 in the States and £1,000 in the right. UK. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, they decided so the round numbers. Old Musky Musk is now sitting on $4 billion minimum <laughs> of deposits. You'll so blow up the moon, won't US you? Billions, no, 400 no. million. Oh, yes, yeah, so... so, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Not an old-fashioned UK billion, but yeah. a, a, a proper four, billion. 4,000 million yeah. Yeah. dollars. Yeah. And, well, I don't know, whatever. Or he's converted it all to Musk money, which is a whole currency of his own invention. But... He'll have that when he owns part of Mars. Yeah. Which he will. Hang on, sorry, 400,000 orders. Yes. $1,000 a time. Yes. That's 400 million. Still a lot of money. It's, no, it's still a lot of money, but we've got to get... Yeah. So yeah. F- sorry, 400, four, f- yeah. $400 million. Yes. Give or take. Yeah. Four billion Elons, his own currency. 
but yes, 400,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 400,000. Anyway, so let's not it's get bogged down in statistical accuracy. <laughs> the point is, it's a shed load of money. Yeah. And that car's not ready yet. Historically, Teslas have been delayed. The Model X ran late. I think the Model S ran late as well. They're saying end of next year, end of 2017. Now, I reckon, give it a few months delay, middle of 2018, they start delivering cars... They won't immediately ramp up to full production. They're not even saying what full production might be. It could be a year into Oh, it's going to be taking forever to get through that backlog. I mean, it's just I read a lovely thing recently which said that it took the Washington-Nissan plant 10 years to reach full production. Yeah. And that's how long to run at capacity. And this plant that they've got, this gigafactory, will have to run absolute flat out to deliver the number of cars. Can they do that in three years? Well, let's look at Elon Musk's track record. With cars, not as good as it has been with his space program. But SpaceX designed and built the Falcon 1 or the 1A in something like three and a half years with 300 people. Now, if Grumman or Morton Thiokol or any of those sort of government contractors that do military tenders it would have taken them 20 years and x billion dollars and they would have had 10,000 people working on it so he has reinvented well, the way that yeah, things yeah, are yeah. developed no, 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 and, he ha- and, completely... he ha- and he has just successfully landed the falcon 9 yeah. on the barge yeah so absolutely but this is none of this uh, is applicable to mass producing oh, no. cars <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but even but, 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 but on the car front a few years ago this guy elon musk he set up an electric car company oh i wonder how that'll do yeah Probably, you know Look at where we are now. Mm. You have to give Elon Musk and Tesla credit for delivering on what they say they are going to deliver, on the whole. There have been no well, I, I suppose this is if actually I, my I, point. If, the, if the, I the down, I'm, you know, I, I, I'd be sure that I would get my car. I wouldn't be expecting it to come all that quickly, but they're going to deliver them, and they'll be good. I actually have concerns, because you're right, and I'm not criticising Tesla for what they've achieved, because the Model S, as Gareth will attest, because he's driven it at length, spectacular, is an incredibly good car. For essentially a brand new car company, mm. for their first proper model, discount yeah. the Roadster, which was sort of butchered at least, and their first proper ground-up car to be as good as that is remarkable. Agreed. And that's an incredible achievement on a car that I think they make sort of, I can't remember how many a year. Uh, 20,000, 30,000, something like that? I don't yeah, really 25,000, I think you're so right. So not yeah. big volumes at all. What I think they may have done with the Model 3 is they've now bitten off more than they can chew because this has got to be a true mass-production car. If they can do and it, it... And it creates a new scale of problems, a new yeah. type of problem. I think the biggest problem they've yeah. got is the fact that by the time they get this car on sale, there will be lots of other new electric models, Audi's next generation, Porsches. with much improved range. Yeah. And the Tesla idea, which at the moment the Model S has a far superior range to anything else, and the Model X... But that advantage will be diminished because GM, Audi, Ford, everybody will be doing much longer range electric cars by then. Tesla's advantage will be reduced. Some people will, I'm sure, cancel their orders out of boredom and frustration. If they really want an electric car, they'll just go and buy whatever Whatever Audi's answer is or BMW's answer. Yeah, Yeah, sure. There'll be some natural wastage. I think what is in Tesla's favour is the fact they have this Apple-like quality to them. Apple's now a very mainstream company, isn't it? They're selling a Mm -hmm. million iPhones a week and all the rest of it. And, you know, every coffee shop Mm. in the country and in the world seems to be full of people on MacBooks. But when they were a niche company, they had this sort of 
cult-like following. It's always one of the biggest criticisms of Apple, isn't it, from sort of PC dullards. It's always, oh, the cult of Apple. Oh, join the cult. And it's like, what, you mean join the cult of good computers? <laughs> and I describe Tesla what, ownership exactly as that's the cult the, of Tesla. They, they exactly. do. They have this very sort of cult-like thing, and they have this strong cult leader in Elon Musk as they had Steve Jobs at Apple. Mm. And there were people camping out to put their deposits on a Model 3, weren't mm. there? So the similarities are uncanny. And some people sort of would define themselves as Tesla people rather mm-hmm. than electric car people or car mm-hmm. people. Yeah, yeah. And I saw people on Twitter who were saying, I've got a Model S and I'm so excited to put my deposit down for my Model 3. Now, if you look at the size of those cars and the prices, that's like somebody going, well, I'm a 7 Series driver, but I'm so excited to put my deposit down for this new 3 Series. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't happen. Someone who's managed to work their way up to where they're wealthy enough and they feel they have the status enough to drive a 7 Series or an XJ or an S-Class in fact, it's well, better analogy, say the XE, the Jag XE, because that was not replacing anything. That was a new, smaller model for the company. No one's got an XJ when, oh, I'm so excited about the XE, I'm going to put my money down for one of those. Because you go, no, it's all right, I've made it in life, mm-hmm. mate. Thanks very much, got my XJ. It's a very good point you're making there. And it has something to do with the fact that if you're a Tesla person, if you're really identifying with that brand, you make a statement about being forward-looking and it is a futuristic mm. kind of, rather nostalgic kind of product. Yeah, and they're kicking over the establishments as well, the way they sell cars yeah. through sort of yeah. shops rather than dealers. And the way the dealers in the US are fiercely fighting them because they see that there's yeah, a better way here, which they don't well don't want. Them from yeah, uh, selling and that's cars. always exciting when someone upsets the establishment. And let's be honest, the baggy, useless, feckless establishment of the average car dealer is something mm. that needs to be overturned. So more power to them on that. But I genuinely do worry that actually Tesla won't survive to see this car coming out because it's incredibly expensive to develop a car of that to be made in those numbers down to that price mm, mm-hmm. and that's the difference and the development costs on a new platform I mean even Ford or Toyota would blush at what it's going to cost to get this car ready for production and I know they've got this 4 billion elongs or whatever it is in dollars in the bank theoretically but that's going to go I mean they can't rely on that money because there's going to be people starting to ask for it back if the car's mm. not ready and then they really are screwed and Elon Musk's done a great job of, of talking up Tesla so much their stock price remains but if you read any of the sort of analysts in the American press there are grave concerns about Tesla's ability to stay afloat to sustain something yeah. like this and to grow the company because they have sort of overpromised mm. on this a little bit but more power to them. I really hope they succeed mm. because e- I think the world needs them. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was about to say, that fortune favours the brave. I hope. We're futurists. We like cars of the future. We like all that. We don't want them to go under. It is a very real possibility. It's quite a risk. They're taking on mm. the biggest boys in the world, aren't they? Good, yeah. luck, to good, good luck to them. Yeah. yeah. On a final note, sorry, I've been talking a lot, but I was just going to say, since we've been banging on electric cars, and I was talking about them a few shows ago, and I said I was definitely, definitely wanted an electric car. My oh, electric yes. car dreams are on pause for the time being. You have 15 seconds to tell us why. Tried child seat in the back of i3, not ideal with suicide doors, not being able to charge at home, just massive ball ache. My wife's going to drive it mostly, so I suppose massive ache for her. <laughs> and either way, just wasn't going to work out. I really, really wanted to, just not practical for our circumstances. But when the longer range cars yeah. come, this will be less of an issue. So come on, Tesla, get your finger out, or Fox will get that Ampera E over here. And I will have my checkbook. And then maybe Richard will have an electric car. And yeah. of course, so yeah. try to buy a futuristic car with a checkbook, according to that analysis. <laughs> <laughs> really. Good luck with that. Yeah, I think Tesla are only taking deposits for their car. In for gold people. sovereigns. No, no, no. I 
think Luxury vouchers. For people who agree to have a chip, a Tesla chip fitted okay. to the base of their brain so they can just... We scoff people chip. doing it, aren't they? Uh, you see yeah, this? People coming. putting things in their own hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been around for a little while and it Nuts. starts to happen. I know. <laughs> We're afraid of the future. You've been listening to Richard. Goodbye. To Zog. Goodbye. To me, Gareth. I'm going to leave you with another tune recorded live at 10 years on speed. This is the On Speed Band. See ya. This is a song written in the style of Mark Bolan and T-Rex, so it's called Mini Clubman.
You've no idea how good that feels. <laughs> to send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones!